Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 22, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, and welcome to the MLR Kickoff show. Dan Power with you alongside with Pete Steinberg, as always. And we have a big show. We're going to jump in to MLR Week 5. We'll talk to our Player of the Week. We'll have a quick look at the ARC results for the North American sides, and then preview what's coming up this weekend in Major League Rugby. As always, I'm joined by my co-commentator, Pete Steinberg. And Pete, great to have you back and missed you this weekend, big guy. Yeah, I'm, uh, um, <clears throat> I've am i got a couple of weeks off from MLR commentating, got a couple other things. This past weekend was family, so ended up uh, um, hanging out with my dad and flew him back to um, Philadelphia on Sunday. So I found I flew from Denver to Philadelphia, dropped my dad dad off, and then went from um, Philadelphia back to Denver. So not a lot of time to actually catch up on games, but I've managed to do it. Um, but, you know, looking forward to a, a big rugby weekend. Um, I'm actually going to be in Vegas this weekend um, working with Cat Gemini, which is an exciting opportunity for me. But, uh, yeah, it was a big weekend and some, and some really interesting results, Dan, that I think um, – well, you know, we're giving us some indication about where teams stand as, as we go through week five. But before we get into the games, um, I think you have a travel tip for us. Yeah, this is a unique situation I found myself in. I did a game in Texas on Friday night. I was flying to Seattle, had a 6.25 a.m. flight. I like to get up early and go. I get to the airport. We're just about to start boarding. And I hear my name called over the loudspeaker. And I was like, you beauty, upgrade, first class. This is going to be a great flight. And they say... Um, you know, sorry, Mr. Power, the flight has been oversold and uh, we're going to have to bump you to the next flight. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Do I get like a travel voucher or something? And they said, no, no, that's only if you volunteer. And no one volunteered, so we just had to pick names. And I was like, okay. So the next flight was at 2.40. So I went from getting at the airport at 5 a.m. to 2.40. So here's my travel tip. If you ever got an early flight, don't check out of your hotel room until you're on the plane. Because I got the shuttle back and went back to bed in the oh, hotel. That's a, <laughs> that's a that's a great trip. But Dan, so this must have been an airline that you didn't have status on. Uh, you know, actually, I do. I'm not sure what happened, but um, wow, that's this has uh, never happened before. Yeah, I know, yeah, yep, and they said yep. it was. They asked for volunteers. No one volunteered. And then uh, they said they just randomly selected names in fair classes. And so uh, I went. Uh, well, I mean, I, I will tell you, Dan, that I never check out of my hotel room. I just leave. Yeah, I'm the same. So, the you know, same. if you travel a lot, like you get checked out automatically at 11 a.m. And um, they will send you if you're part of their um, rewards program, they'll, the loyalty program, they'll send you your uh, um folio and you know you can you can just leave but that's a, a i never thought that it might be useful for something like that but i'm glad you got some extra sleep i know that you were struggling a little bit for that uh, is um, true yeah i got struck down by the uh the stomach bug that has been going around and and pete you've got young penelope at home so you know how filthy children are and they bring their <laughs> diseases home so both my kids battled uh, the stomach bug and I thought I'd got through with it. I got through a big week at work last week, and then Thursday night going to bed, I had a Friday flight down to Texas, and I'm like, oh, I just 
not feeling great. Then about 2 a.m. Friday, it all came crashing down on me. And uh, so if anyone watching the game Friday, which we'll go into in just a moment, thought uh, I sounded a little off, I uh, I was. I hadn't eaten in 24-plus hours and was really under the – Brian Hightower – his seat wasn't too close to me. I think he was a little nervous that I was uh, in the in an enclosed space with him. So, but we got through it. Two games, one weekend. So, and I'm alive. So, let's just jump into the action, Pete. Uh, head first. Uh, two games in Texas kicked off at the exact same time. We'll look at San Diego versus Austin Elite first. And Austin Elite, well, they may have to call the witch doctor or something can offer a sacrifice. I'm not sure what they need to do to get a win down there, but another loss. But uh, let's focus more on the positive. San Diego outstanding on the road. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the interesting things about the game, the games this week is I think that they're, um, I think the quality is really beginning to show, and I think there are there are teams that have a lot of work to do, and Austin is obviously one of those, um, one of those teams. I mean, I've said this before. I think Austin have a solid team. I mean, I think they've got solid players. However. They don't have many game breakers, and, and without any game breakers, it becomes very, very difficult. And you know, San Diego, com- you know, dominated this game in terms of territory and possession, but it was really close. I mean, it was seven three at twenty minutes, and then there was about the, the second half. Um, San Diego really turned it on, and it was really the San Diego forwards in the open field. You know, San Diego plays some really very basic patterns where they. You know, they'll use JP Duplessis. They'll have him generate go forward. They'll have forwards come around the corner. And I thought um, Wuching, so Wuching had a really good game with ball in hand. Um, and I think that back row, uh, um, Short and Gaffney, is really becoming a real physical beast. But, you know, they've also got Paddy Ryan and they've got Lou Stamfel um, and uh, um, Kenny uh, Nessagenge, and these guys were all just getting go forward and go forward, and that just gave Joe Peterson, particularly in the second half of the first half, ball on the front foot with lots of options around him, and the Austin defense was just not able to hold them. And so there were three tries in about 20 minutes in the second part of that second half, and and the game was done. Um, you know, Austin, you know, you look at the stats, and and there's not a you know, um, Austin struggled with possession. So they they made twice the number of tackles as um, uh, as San Diego, but their tackle rate was better. Um, their penalties were about the same. Um, you know, it was it, it was really interesting. There was a slight edge for uh, um, uh, for San Diego um, in in the set piece, but one of the things that really stood out was that um, I really thought that San Diego's kicking game. They've got multiple kickers. In, in their back line that are able to, um, you know, to, to gain that territory. And, and Joe Peterson's such a great game manager. Their, their kicking game really gave them so much territory. And Austin doesn't have a kicking game. They were trying to run the ball out from their 22. They weren't able to exit their half. So any errors that they made were in their half, and that just gave some try-scoring um, uh, opportunities to San Diego. Great defense by San Diego. Austin were unable to really generate... Um, I, you know, really, it was San Diego's um, errors that gave Austin their opportunities. And, you know, I think that we saw one of the teams that is, you know, really growing. I think, um, you know, San Diego's a team that's getting better and better. And, 
you know, there's been rumors, Dan, of Austin needing, you know, they've got some players coming in. There's some visa issues that they're looking at, and they're going to need something like that. They're going to need some help to come in and really pick these guys up as they go through um, the rest of the season. Yeah, they will. What a start for uh, Wuching, too. Real busy with ball in hand. Topping the carries with 13 for 80 metres. Not a bad little effort for a guy who hasn't been playing a lot of rugby over the last 12 months. So good to see him back out in the field, getting some time, and I'm sure looking to uh, get back onto Gary Gold's radar as well. Now, Pete, the other game down in Texas, Toronto, they went on the road again. As uh, you know, they'll be on the road for the opening eight games of their season. And they took on the Houston Sabercats down there. And this uh, this one, I actually picked Houston. I just thought that road trip for Toronto would start to wear them down, having gone on the well, – like I said, they're going on the road for their first eight games, but a lot of travel. Uh, boy, was I wrong. The boys from Canada, they showed up in force. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, like I said, I think there are some games here that have really um, demonstrated the gap. And, and it's 44-27, but as you know – it, it was never really that close. Um, Houston had some problems holding on to the ball. Um, you know, uh, both teams actually had challenges in the scrum. But, you know, I, I think this Toronto team is going to be um, one to to really um, look at as they go forward. I'm not even sure we've seen them at their best. Um, they've got players that are away um, at the ARC and they're on the road. And, and as we said last week, you know, they made the smart decision to stay in the U.S., they flew to Houston. I think they got that great week of bonding, spending time together, and just really being able to maximize their time, and it showed. Yeah, absolutely right. I called this game. I really thought that uh, it was going to play out a little differently, but, man, Toronto, that young forward pack, just high energy, just really really beat the Sabercats and I'm looking through the statistics here. Anytime that you're outside centers, your top tackler as Dan Moore was for Toronto kind of indicates the type of game that Houston were playing. They were basically playing catch up for most of the game, throwing the ball around. It just wasn't working for them. And, uh, you know, Malcolm at fly half had a pretty good day with the boot going eight from eight. And it was that last five minutes, Pete. I'm not sure how much of the game you got to uh, to see, but Sam Windsor scores a try with about six minutes to go before the break. And I'm like, you know, that's great for Houston. Great momentum going into the shed. Something for the coaching staff to build off there, give the players some confidence. And then Toronto scored two tries within the space of about four minutes before the halftime break. And really looking at the score, that was, you know, that 14 points really makes a difference between that game being winnable at the end of Houston and out of reach as it was at 44-27. Yeah. And, you know, I, I said that Toronto are missing some players and Houston are too. Houston have some injuries. Um, they're missing some players. Um, you know, I'm a little bit more upbeat about Houston than I am about Austin because I think they really do have um, some Tremendous players um, like Windsor, um, like um, Kalina Sal, you know, Matt Trueville is a great player, um, Aaron Schramm. I mean, they've got quality players. Um, they just haven't been able to play at their best. No, I agree. The injury bug biting pretty hard down there in Houston. Next game, we had our first ever tie. I'm not sure how you feel about the old draw, the tie, Pete, but we'll get into it. It was the Raptors. Uh, they were dead and buried. Uh, the Undertaker had pulled the coffin into the grave. He threw some dirt on the top. Oh, it was just, it was all over at halftime. 
Utah Warriors, I was, I was ready to crown them the champions of 2019. They can't be stopped. And then what a second half in particular, that 20-minute uh, stretch after Chad Goss run. But what did you think of this one, Pete, in Utah as well? Well, you know, um, I still think Utah have a lot to give. I, I The first half was actually, I thought, very even, even though um, uh, the – you know, the Raptors, I think they found themselves, I mean, I think it was 21-5 or 21 nothing down at halftime. And, uh, um, but, you know, and, and we've seen this from the Raptors. We saw it last year. We saw it this year. Utah got so much of their attack from um, uh, from errors of Glendale, whether it was penalties or whether it was handling errors. Um, a lot of penalties in that first half um, against the Raptors that really put them into the hole. And, you know, it was 26-5 um, at the 60-minute hydration break. And, you know, there were, there were two moments that, that I thought were, um, you know, turning points. At 26-5, um, the try by Harley Davidson that made it um, 26-12. And then Utah responded and they went all the way back and they were on the line, um, on the Raptors line, looking like they were going to score. And so then that turnover where Chad Goff got the ball and went 100 meters. And I have to say, there wasn't a huge amount of effort by the Utah back three to chase down the hooker there. Um, and, you know, that was those two moments of, I think, probably, you know, a loss of con- concentration by Utah were the two turning points in the game. But, you know, Glendale, you know, leaning on the old heads, right? Sort of like the Fenolios and the... Uh, um, Adam Malifas and, and 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 those guys, but still, you know, it's the errors that are that are popping up that you know prevented them from winning last year, and and it's going to be a concern this year too. Yeah, how about that try from uh, from Chad Goth there, and and uh, was it uh, Manicolo in the eleven jersey? It was. Yeah, he he didn't give a lot of effort to chase down that guy. Just trying to get into his head there and try to think what what his thought process was because you know I was on a plane at. This time went on my uh, my later, and uh, so I saw the the update on Twitter, and I was like, "What? You don't see that every day, you know?" A hooker and Chad Goff's a pretty athletic hooker. Let's be fair; he's not your stereotypical. I still thought that's a little, you know, maybe an intercept or something against a run of play, you know, like a little kick with a whole chasing line going through, and they can't turn around. But when I got to see it, I was like, "My my, that is." Uh, He's just phoned that one in, hasn't he? But I wonder if he thought they were in a safe position, Pete, where they couldn't be run down and it's just a try. And and that's, yeah, um, and absolutely. And that's why I felt like both of those scores came from a loss of concentration. I think, I think both, both of them, I, you know, it looked like Utah felt like the game was in the bag. And, um, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty soft try through the middle for Harley Davidson. And then obviously, um, Chad Goff. I mean, I mean, like you said, let's be honest, this guy's not really a hooker. Um, you know, he's, you know, I've seen him play sevens and he's a stud in sevens. This is someone that can run, but you know, he, he I'm not sure how many hundred meter runs he he has. So, you know, it'll be a learning for Utah. I still think that, that they've, they've got some growth to go. And I think that, you know, um, considering, you know, the challenges that Glendale have with the ARC, I think that they will be, um, you know, and especially considering, you know, with 20 minutes to go, then they were 26-5 down. I think that there'll be some, you know, please Glendale players that they were able to get some points. Um, 
But I think Utah will be disappointed that they weren't able to put it away, and Glendale will be very, very disappointed with that first half. Yeah, I think Glendale, Glendale fans will be happy to get some points out of it. Uh, Utah will be disappointed to get the draw. But Glendale could play with three points with the bonus point try as well with four tries. Utah only two uh, for the tie. So quickly, that's a win for Glendale, right? So I win the tipping last week. Uh, well, you know, we'll see. But, um, you know, you, I'll, I'll give that one to, to you, Dan, because you're going to need all the help you can get. But one interesting thing as I look at the stats here, which I'm not sure I've ever seen, you know, there were 20 penalties. That's a little high. That's not um, unusual. But it's unusual. This is unusual. From the 10th minute to the 35th minute, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven penalties um, against uh, Glendale. Okay, so that's when I talked about penalties were really what kept Utah in the game. And then from the 37th minute, so the end of the first half through the 56th minute, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight penalties in a row against Utah. I mean, that just seems a little bit unusual. I think I think that the, um, you know, just like the, the league, the referees are, are growing in this. But I think that when you look at, at, um, at a, uh, those sorts of flows you've got to i mean i think ben kraus the referee is going to look go back and look at that and be like you know did i get into a pattern because as a referee you can get into a pattern where you just start penalizing someone and um you know i think that's i think the penalty side of the game is something that hopefully the referees can improve as they go through the season yeah that is interesting looking at that uh, just looking at your timeline now on those statistics i've never seen anything like that usually uh Good captain, especially if you start getting blown for a few, like one, two, three penalties, you'll go and talk to the referee and just kind of plant that seed to say, uh, you know, what are we doing? And uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're looking at that both ways, and just give give them something to think about, or give us something to think about the next breakdown and get a nice little penalty as a, you know, a little bit of an equalizer. But that is uh, that that is peculiar. But uh, we won't we won't harp on that too much. Let's uh, move on to the last game of the round, Sunday night out at Seattle, and uh, uh, I don't game of the week. Game of the week. I think Absolutely. this one was game well, of the season. CBS, actually, and but but like you know, um, I, I I thought I thought this was this was a, a really good game of rugby, and um, you know I thought it was uh, um, a. You know, I, I thought it was a really good demonstration by Seattle that, you know, about their quality as defending champions. I think they made a statement in this game against the young upstarts of Rugby United New York. Yeah, I agree. This, to, this is the best game I've seen this year. And granted, I haven't seen every single game, but this one felt like uh, it, it was a preview of finals rugby like it had that intensity it had that feel about and like you said there was a storyline coming in of defending champions you know playing at home and these young confident new york side on the road again but they don't care they've beaten san diego beaten nola you know they've beaten everyone at the top of the table and then the old warhorse sea wolves come in and you know they just slug it out but it's a different Seattle, Pete, isn't it? It's the one last year that won because we probably wouldn't have seen a scoreline like this last year. Their defense is what got them home, but uh, I think it was their attack this game that really got them home. That was well, defended well. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing the impact of Richie Walker and in particular on Ben Seema. Um, I thought Seema played um, really well in this game, and I think in particular he's beginning to stand a bit flatter. 
right? And so you know as a fly half, then the you know the flatter you stand, the more pressure you put on yourself, but also the more pressure you put on the defense. It allows your forwards to get go forward. It holds the defensive slide, and you know giving the fly half like Seema the confidence of um, of standing flatter. I think was a big difference um, to their attack. And you know uh, the the try by um, uh, Shalom Suniola was just you know harking back you know I, I don't know if it's a decade but it's probably pretty close to a decade absolutely um wonderful wonderful score and that's what seattle have and i know you said that it wasn't their defense but listen to this okay um in terms of tackles seattle made 237 tackles and rooney made 151 and, you know, they had a, a completion rate of 89% for Seattle. So this game was still on um, the defense. And it really, it was a real struggle for Rooney to be able to, be able to break that down because they just tackled so well. Yeah, I would say a good chunk of those tackles came in the last 20 minutes when Rooney were coming back. They right. held the ball. I think at one point there it was uh, close to 30 phases where they score, end up scoring a try at the end. So... Uh, Seattle definitely had to work on the defensives. I'm not calling them bad defensively, Peter. Jeez, you're going to get me in trouble out there. But just the attack this time was so much better. I don't think we see 33 points. You know, no, by the, I agree with the you. way they put it yeah. on. I, I I agree with you, and I think for Rooney, I mean, I think they really missed Dylan um, Dylan Fawcett. Um, you know, they struggled in the lineout, and I think that's um, an area that the it's probably just sort of the reps that you can get when when you've got, um, you know, a, a different hooker like Mike Brown coming in. Um, and, you know, that when you only win 64% of your lineouts, that's when you're, um, uh, that's when you're struggling. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's such a, a backbreaker um, to be able to lose those lineouts, and I think that that's the you know I think if they were able to get those lineouts, they would you know this this would have been a very close game in terms of the score. Oh yeah, the lineouts were a massive issue, and Brad Tucker, Ricard Hutting, I uh, was commending both of them during the game, but uh, yeah, the, the throws weren't what we would come to expect from Dylan Fawcett. You know, him being there, he's such a classy hooker. Take out John Quill as well. It. Uh, and then uh, Nate Brakely, one yeah, of your absolutely. Like, combination is different. Yep. Right? but uh, super super impressed with this game with uh, Ross Deacon, the number eight for Rooney. He was just everywhere. I mean, his impact was incredible. And we got towards the back end of the game as they're surging. I'm like, you know, if they win this, they can pull this out. He's got to be my player of the game. He was just so heavily involved. Yeah, I mean, I, he's a he's a quality player. We saw that. We saw that last year in Major League Rugby, and I think that he's someone that's going to continue to grow um, into the game. And and you know we we knocked um, you know we've been knocking the referees a little bit in this game, but I think we should call out Luke Rogan, who really did a good job. I mean, one of you don't get good games without good referees, and um, I really thought he did um, a, a fabulous job. A total of thirteen penalties. So anything under 15 is great. And so 13 was great, you know, six um, against Seattle, seven against Rooney. Um, I, you know, he used his voice well. The players listened, and I think that's what allowed the game to be so 
um, you know, so, so exciting. Yep, it was. And uh, out of that game came our player of the week, who was their winger, Brock Staller, who's also the leading point scorer. And I had a chance to catch up with Brock earlier today, and we sat down and talked a little Seawolves, and uh, he had some harsh words for his roommate, Phil Mack. I am joined now by the Seattle Seawolves winger and player of the week for week five of Major League Rugby, Brock Staller. And Brock, really appreciate you taking the time to join the show, mate. Oh, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Now, this award could have come a little quicker for you. You've started this year absolutely on fire, opening five rounds. I'm just going through some of your statistics here, mate. You've already scored 67 points. Last year in total, you only accumulated 60. Uh, any any thought on why you've started this year so well? How, obviously, your off-season must have been pretty sharp. Yeah, no, we had a good off-season here, actually, in, in Seattle. We did a lot of, uh, a lot of fitness. Um, the whole team was a lot fitter this year at the start of the year. And no, I've just been fortunate enough to be on the uh, the end of a number of tries and just kicking my converts. So I don't really care about the points. I just want our team to win at the end of the day. Well, you talk about kicking, mate. You've had a couple of game winners already. The first one against Glendale, uh, right at the death there in the championship rematch. And then against Toronto, which probably would have been a pretty big game for you personally, just uh, being a Canadian boy and playing against the Canadian side. Uh, how how do you process those and how's the trust factor between you and Ricard and Shalom when those moments come up at the back end of a game? You know, if there's an opportunity to take the points, like I, I want to get up there and make the kick. Um, but no, it's just a matter of sticking with the process, staying slow and not getting caught up in the moment and just uh, focusing on the ball and the target and, and putting it through with the right timing. But um, no, Toronto's, uh, Toronto's been a good team so far this year and they're still missing a number of players at the ARC. So I think they're going to have a strong um, second half of the year, especially with the fact they're playing at home. So home for you is actually uh, Canada as well, but not not that far to the east. You're not too far from home. How's it been uh, seeing a Canadian side come into Major League Rugby? And was there ever any thoughts about shifting across to the east to link up with Toronto? No, I've been real happy here in Seattle. Uh, didn't have any plans to head over to the, with the Arrows. Um, it's nice being here because my parents only live about a two-hour drive away up in Vancouver so they can come and watch all of our home games. Um, but it's good to see the expansion into Canada. It's really important for, um, for Canadian rugby and all the rugby in North America to have um, more professional teams in the Canadian landscape. Hopefully there'll be a, a team on the West Coast at some point. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to make the game better and uh, provide more opportunities for professional rugby and our national teams in the coming years. Now, you did say you're from Vancouver, parents still up there. Mate, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, from BC down to the Seattle Seawolves. Uh, picked up a ball the first time and right through there to how you got to Seattle. Yeah, so I started playing um, in grade eight or my, uh, my freshman year in high school. My dad was actually uh, my coach of the rugby team. He, uh, I actually joined the team just because, you know, it looked like a good way to, you know, impress some of the girls in, in our grade and stuff like that because they all were going to come out and watch our games. But no, I played a variety of sports um, through high school and then rugby kind of just stuck um, once I graduated. I actually played a lot of golf as well. Um, I played community college golf for two years and I was also able to start playing in the, uh, the BC Premier League after I graduated from high school. And I uh, did two seasons there and did some uh, more uh, provincial um, grade rugby. And then I went to UBC, played a couple more years there and um, finished up my kinesiology degree. And then it became a choice of whether to uh, do my my graduate um, one-year placement for teaching to become a science and uh, 
PE high school teacher or go over and train with the Canadian national team in Langford. They just started a new uh, 15s program um, for all the domestic players, you know, trying to uh, catapult onto the team and stay there. So I ended up uh, moving over to Vancouver Island um, and I was there for, I guess I lived there for two years and trained and uh, got a few caps for Canada. And then eventually the opportunity in Seattle arose and I got a call from uh, Curry Hitchborn, who was um, organizing the team, I guess, a, couple, a year ago now in October. And um, it just went from there. Now, I've got to come back to one of the things you said there. Did it work? Did you get any girls at high school from playing rugby? I don't know. I was pretty shy and I had braces, so I, I didn't stand a great chance. Um, I may have been a little better than most when it came to sports, but no, I was a, I was a pretty timid and shy guy off the field. <laughs> so you've given up the braces for the uh, frosty blonde tips, though. It's mm-hmm. pretty common knowledge now that that is a punishment system that you've employed at Seattle Seawolves. Any... Uh, any reason why you went for the blonde tips on this one? What did you get up to? Well, just on the dice, if you roll a two, it's either frosted tips or cul-de-sac. It's like for a haircut, if you're balding, you know, just grind out that back part. So, well, fortunately, I'm not balding, but I uh, ended up getting uh, Matt Turner to help me out with the uh, the frosted tips. And I don't know, they've stuck, and I, I think it'd be weird to cut them off now, but I, I do have to get a haircut, I think, for this upcoming week. Back three now have those... Uh... Nice little uh, highlights through the hair. So, is it a was it late to practice? What was your uh, what was your fine for? I I can't remember to be honest. I don't think I haven't showed up late to a training, but I think I dropped a ball or, or knocked a try on in one of our exhibition games. It might have been in uh, San Francisco. Actually, no, it was in uh, in Vancouver Island against when we played the Vancouver Tide. I, I should have gave a ball by the goal line, and I I got knocked on. So that was uh, enough for me to have to do this. Just helping out some of the uh, good old boys up in Vancouver there. Yeah. Good for you. Good teammate. So, mate, let's talk a little bit about Canada now. Um, it started as a, you know, a little bit of noise, and it's turned into a, a bit of a roar now to see you get brought back into Kingsley Jones' squad. And I'm not going to put you under pressure here because I know as a player, your position here and what you, you know, what you want to do is want to see the side do well. But the last time you suited up was against Russia for a full test. Um You've even come out and said yourself you weren't overly happy with the last tour you went on with the APC last year. How close do you think you are to getting a shot to being brought back up into the squad? And what else can you possibly do? You think? I'd say I'm on the fringe. Like I'm, I'm playing well. Um, I'm confident in my play, but it just comes down to the whole round picture, right? There's a lot more than what the average spectator sees in the field. Whether it's like making the tackle and getting up, um, defensive positioning. Uh, there's a lot of lot of little details, and it's just getting all those right so that he has no choice but to, uh, to get me in the squad. So I just say I'm, I'm focusing on um, my defensive positioning and just creating more opportunities on attack, you know, to make the game line and to score. But I'm, I'm happy with where I'm sitting now, and I'm just trying to, you know, work hard every day and, and keep building towards the World Cup and hopefully making it there. Yeah, I think if you keep playing good rugby for Seattle, you'll uh, go a long way to getting that ticket, my friend. But talk a little bit about Seattle. Obviously, last year you go... Come out of the blue, some would say. There's a lot of uh, unknowns going into the season about the Seawolves. Uh, got it done. Phil Mack, a Canadian teammate and uh, captain or player coach. Sorry, I keep saying captain coach, but he wasn't actually the skipper, mm. which is an interesting uh, argument on the field, I'm sure, as the coach and the captain. Uh, how different has it been this year having Richie Walker come in and having that you know, head coach figure in the squad. Do you feel like you're a little bit more settled this year or in a better spot than you were last year? 
It's been interesting, to be honest, because at the start of the year, we were supposed to have uh, Anton Moolman um, come in and be our head coach from South Africa. So he was actually um, working with Phil to create our sessions um, from, I guess, November till almost the uh, mid-January, the start of the season. So it was a bit of a, a letdown for Anton to not show up. Um, but Phil's done a lot of work. He did a lot of work last year uh, to put us in a position for success. And uh, last year it really came down to our defense. And it's something that we uh, proved against New York this past week. I think that's why we were successful last year was our, our defense, especially seeing some of the um, point totals going up in a couple of the last uh, games over the, over the last few rounds. Um, but no, Richie's helped um, bring a calm voice and uh, a leader to the room. Um, someone that the guys can turn to to ask questions regarding selection um, stuff like that, because that's the toughest part when you have just player coaches is um, making those decisions, especially when um, the international rules is uh, put to the side and it's a little more competitive for spots. Last year, it was uh, the team somewhat picked itself. And this year, there's a lot more competition. So, no, it's good having another figure um, in the room to turn to and, and uh, lead us. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Rooney game. You are player of the week, and uh, it was a great performance for you. Rockets you right up to the top of the points scoring list where you sit, uh, I believe. Let me just do some quick math. 21 points ahead of second place right now. How did you guys approach that? Uh, you were 2-2 two and two coming in. You had two tough losses on the road against New Orleans and San Diego. Rooney, just go down to New Orleans and get the win down there. So you must have known coming in they were going to be a strong squad. How was the week building up to that game, and what was the chatter like in camp? Yeah, no, uh, Rooney is a strong squad from uh, looking at some of the film on them. But the biggest thing this past week was just focusing on ourselves and um, trying to get away from the double negatives. So... Having a, having a, you know, giving a penalty, allowing the other team to kick down um, in deep and then have a line out in our end. Uh, we've kind of just shot ourselves in the foot in the first four games of the season. And uh, we've given other teams opportunities to come out and, uh, and beat us just, you know, because we're <laughs> shooting ourselves in the foot. Um, but no, this week was, it was a good training week. We focused on ourselves and tried to simplify our attack a bit more and then also um, get back to our um, defensive strengths with the seawall. Yeah, lots made of that. Uh, missing a couple of players, who some starting to trickle back in. Aladdin Shermer in particular. How good was it to see him come back from injury? It must have been tough. Uh, one of your, your back rowers there sitting out at the start of the season. You also have Vili, uh, still probably another month away. No, I have a lot of respect for Aladdin. He does all the little things right, carries low, tackles well, and he's a good defensive leader. Um, a lot of the guys can turn to him when they have questions regarding our defensive structure. But no, he brings another element to the game of consistency, and it certainly helps um, our back row when he can play, and it just uh, adds to the competition and the level of play for our team. Yeah, definitely. Now, you've got the bye this week, so good chance to recover. But after that, you're back at home where you've been undefeated this year. I believe the last time, well, actually, your only loss at home was to Glendale in round two last year. But this time you take on Houston. Have you had a chance to much watch, uh, sorry, have you had a chance to watch much of the Sabercats this year? I haven't seen a lot. I've seen a bit of their game. I can't remember who they played last week, but I was just at home watching with Phil. Um, No, Houston, they have some uh, X-Factor players. Um, They have some big forwards. Um, But if we stick to our systems, I think we'll be all right against them, especially at home. Um, Our fans are amazing. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but other teams probably enjoy coming to Seattle to play us just because of the atmosphere. Um, it definitely makes it tougher for them to to pull out wins, but the whole experience is 
is next level. And it's what it, uh, they're set, we're setting a good standard here in Seattle for, uh, for the, I guess, the future of the MLR or where we all want to see it to grow to. Now, I know you don't get to see this because you're actually running out into the field, but I was up in the box on the weekend looking at uh, Rooney as you guys are running out. And instead of lining up, they're all peeled around trying to look to see you guys run out with the flames and the smoke and yeah. Nirvana in the background. So it is a, it's yeah. a great show and you guys definitely are showing the league uh, the way to go there in terms of creating a great fan experience. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you know, Brian Hightower mentioned it as the 16th man. Uh, how yeah. big is that fan base to you guys when you're playing at home? Oh, we we got to give a lot of credit to uh, Shane Skinner. He's our uh, one of our co-owners here in Seattle, and he's built the brand to, to make it what it is, the whole fan experience. And it, it really started last year after our first home game. Um, there were some comments on Facebook from some of the fans just about um, like porta potties, uh, the beer stands, the merchandise. And he responded to all those, and then he started sending out weekly emails to our fan base, and they really – um, really appreciated that and that uh, connection to our team and to our owner. Um, so, no, it, we have to credit him for all the work that he's done to build our fan base. And then, yeah, I know it's just – it's a different experience. Seattle is a sport-crazy city, but, you know, after the games, getting to shake people's hands, um, take photos, and then just have the fireworks and the flames and all that jazz, it really uh, – there's really good value for the ticket. And, um, yeah, I know hopefully we can have a bigger venue in the coming years that will for sure sell out. Yeah, the Houston game already sold out, so that will be a uh, a nice little home game again as well. Mate, uh, you're living with Phil Mack, is that right? Yeah, I am right now. So how's that living with the married man? Is uh, the whole the whole Mack family there? Oh, no. The, his wife's up in Canada right now. That's where she's working. Um, I think next year they're hoping to uh, be living together down here, so I hope it works out well. But, no, it's good, it's good being with Phil. Um, he's got a lot of knowledge. I just have a lot of respect for him and everything he did this uh, this past season and this year as well with our training. Um, yeah. So if you were to give Phil a rating out of 10 as a roommate, what would you give him? I'd probably give him about a – I wouldn't give him a 10, but I'd give him a 9.5. Uh, oh, Brock. Cook. Oh, no. One was the highest, mate. One was the highest. So he's a horrible roommate. One was the highest. He's a hoso is what you're one- saying. No, I, well, if one's the highest, I give him a 1.5. No, he's a great chef. Um, he's very clean. Yeah, nothing to complain about. It's not like I'm stuck with one of the front rows. I don't know what it would be like uh, having Ollie or maybe even uh, Oppie living in here, but no. I, could, I love everyone on the team. They're all great guys. I could hear the beeping in the background. I just didn't know if that was Ollie reversing in or it was uh, <laughs> Stefan Kutsia's breakfast order coming in as well. I'm not yeah, sure, but I'm pretty safe where I am saying that. I know you can't get away with that. But let's uh, – I usually run this question by at the end. Uh, mate, come June, you guys go back-to-back. You win the championship again. How do you do it? How are we going to do it in June? Well, how do you get there and then how do you win the big game? What makes you different to the other nine – well, the other eight teams, I should say? Well, to start with, this this year's a different beast, right? Having 16 games compared to the eight last year, um, we were pretty banged up by the end of it and we were on the – uh, the better side, I'd say, because a lot of teams were losing props, losing backs, forwards, just to injury. So a big portion of it is recovery, uh, mobility work stuff in the gym just to get us prepared. And then secondly, it's just slowly building to the end of the season. We kind of had a bit of a slow start this year, but, you know, this past weekend against Rooney, we, we've started to amp it up. And our goal is just to keep getting better every week. And if we can do that, I'm sure we can uh, get a spot in the final or at least into the semifinals and give ourselves a chance to win. But it's a long season and it's certainly not a – a race to get there quick. 
Well, Brock, the man who has his own hashtag now, Ballastola, it's uh, going worldwide. Appreciate you taking the time today. And I know a uh, week off, you're probably wanting to do some rehab and get uh, geared up for Houston. But oh, for sure. appreciate you coming on the show, my man. Cheers. Thanks for having me, Don. There is Brock Staller, player of the week for week five, Seattle Seawolves winger and leading point scorer in MLR so far for 2019. There you go, Pete. Brock Staller, tip. Typical Canadian, just such a nice guy, isn't he? he well, he, he is, and he's one of these guys that you've got to wonder what he needs to do to get um, into the Canadian team. Um, you know, there's there's been, uh, you know, questions about his defense, but, you know, I, he's, he's holding up pretty well defensively in Major League Rugby. He obviously brings um, a great kicking game and also a great finisher. Yep, three tries on the year, two on the weekend. Uh, not without a little controversy, though. Maybe being a, a touch offside. It was very close on the kick from Seymour. And then there was some contact on Ben Foden from Suniula on his long-range try as well. But like you said, no point in uh, talking about that now. It's in the book. But yeah, he was outstanding. But you talked about Canada. Let's do some ARC now, Pete, because that is a side he is really excited to get back involved with, with Kingsley Jones and his side. They had a good win, Canada, over Chile on the weekend. Uh, I don't know if you got to see much of that match, but it's good to see Canada starting to click again. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Chile's the weakest team in the ARC, and Canada have struggled um, a little bit in the game. So it's good. It's you know, I think that's a good confidence builder, but I think... Um, you know, Kingsley Jones is still trying to find out what his best combinations are. Um, you know, I think with Major League Rugby, he's got more choice. The Toronto Arrows, as well as a number of Canadian players that are around Major League Rugby, are putting their hands up. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, th I think that Canada is still trying to find out what its best 15 is. And I think this is actually the challenge for the U.S. Um, you know, they, they be uh, still... Um, 30 28 in, in a game that was, it looked like it was going to be a blowout, um, er, you know, late in the first half, but the Brazilians really turned it on. And I think if you would talk to Gary Gold, you know, his selection has been really disrupted. So, um, Gary likes to be very consistent with his selection. And I think that it's, um, you know, with both availability and injury and all of that sort of stuff, I think that that's prevented him from really being consistent. And I think it's now beginning to show in some of these performances, obviously disappoint, disappointing performance um, against the Argentina 15. And while it was a win, um, and Brazil is definitely on an upswing in terms of um, their level of play and they're demonstrating the ARC, particularly in the scrum, um, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be happy with a 33-28 win in a World Cup year. Yeah, no, I agree. There's still a lot to work on there. It was kind of funny. I started uh, watching the game. I picked up, I could only find it in uh, Portuguese, so obviously down in Brazil. And uh, when I had to shut off the phone to take off, USA just scored their third try. And uh, our producer, Aaron Castro, and I were kind of texting back and forth about how big a scoreline we could actually be seeing tonight. And then I land and I pick up the feed again, and there is just... No, uh, no bug at the top, so no score box. But I can hear the the, uh, the inflection in the Portuguese commentators' voices. They were very excited. And then the box popped up, and it was thirty three twenty eight. And Brazil had the ball. And I'm like, oh my god, what what has happened here in this flight? And uh, yeah, I'd gone back and watched some of it, and 
It's just uh, after the game against Argentina, I really didn't expect the guys to come out and and have that chunk of time where they let Brazil come back. And I'm not sure if we're not giving Brazil enough credit here for the development and the improvement they've made, which is significant, or are we not being harsh enough on the on the Eagles for for really putting away a, what should have been a good win? Yeah, I mean, I I you know watching the game. You know, the thing that kind of popped out at me is that, you know, I don't think the U.S. kept their cool. You know, when they were under pressure, there was a lot of pushing and shoving. There was a lot of sort of arguing. You know, it's not clear to me, um, you know, without some of uh, their European pros like A.J. McGinty, who's the guy that's really going to pull them together and um, and and keep them calm. I, I thought that... Um, you know, it, it it was yeah, it was it was interesting to see a team that had kind of been on the high and and you know this is, you know, if you're going to go through these tough team building moments um, and you know learning moments, uh, I think that in a World Cup year, I I think now's the time to do it. But you know, uh, hopefully um, the uh, um, hopefully we've got you know. Uh, I mean, I'm confident that Gary Gold and his staff are going to take the learnings and we're going to be better for it. But I think, you know, it'd be great to be able to finish the ARC. Um, you know, we have a game against Uruguay this weekend with, uh, um, you know, a strong performance. I mean, Uruguay, are, you know, have been selecting a pretty young team um, and they stood up pretty well against Argentina last weekend. So it's not going to be a pushover. No, and I think they smell blood in the water too. They've picked a very uh, <clears throat> strong squad this week for that game up in Seattle. So I know there's still some tickets available that. So make sure if you are in the uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, grab your tickets, go out there. Just watching a game at uh, Starfire is uh, quite an experience. So uh, Seattle Seawolves fans, you know, I know it's not your usual team, but uh, there's a couple of your players on there. So get out there and support it. And then they'll be back the week after for. Uh, the USA Canada. So two weeks in a row out in Seattle. So definitely get to one of those two games and uh, take in some international rugby there at Starfire. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's going to be exciting. I mean, it's, it's a great place with a great atmosphere and uh, um, you know, I'm sure the Seattle rugby fans, both old and new will come out and support our Eagles and, and uh, um, you know, there'll be a good opportunity uh, for the, for the U S to step up against Uruguay. All right, Pete, you ready for the tips? We've got a week to dump into. You know, I think we were both two and one with and and then the tie, which you're claiming because of the uh um bonus point, which is fine, I'll give it to you. So I guess you were three and one and I was two and two. No, no, no. What we'll do is we'll we'll push it to this week. So if there's a game we disagree on, it's worth double points. Okay. How's that sound? Well, you know, I, I I don't think there's gonna be a game that we're gonna disagree on this one because I think that there's been I think the league is sort of stratifying into, you know, um, a, a, a pretty obvious top tier. Then there's a middle group that are um, trying to get back into the top tier. And then there is um, the, you know, um, the, the teams at the bottom that are trying to get up into the middle group. So I'm not so sure that we're going to disagree. But the first game, Dan, and I'll let you call this first, is uh, New York at Houston. And it'll be on um, SNY and uh, Cube and on Facebook for our international viewers. What, what do you think about Houston this? Houston might be actually throwing it up on Facebook 
in the US as well for this one, Pete. We'll, uh, we'll see if uh, our producer, Aaron Castro, can dig that up for us real quick and, and type uh, it up for us. It oh, is there he is. Facebook for national viewing, Cube Local. There you right. go. So in the USA, on Facebook, in New York area, it's on uh, SMY and then in, in the Houston metro area, get on Cube and watch the game. But, uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to disagree on this one. Until they're 100% healthy and have all their players back, uh, it's going to be tough little stretch here for the Sabercats. I will go Rooney bouncing back, and uh, I think they're going to do it pretty convincing down there. I'd like to take a look at the roster, see what Gary Gold picks and – who's going home and whether they get Nate Brakeley back and John Quill may actually go back. I'm not sure what he's going to do and Dylan Fawcett. So yeah, a lot of this hinges on those, but I think even without those three, New York, too, uh, too convincing. I'll go uh, 38-17. So, you know, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's uh, New York, but this is another away game for New York. Um, I think that that's going to take a toll. I think Houston are getting healthier. I think that they're able to do, um, they'll, they'll be able to do more in this game. However, I still think it's New York, but I think it's going to be a close, scrappy game. So I think it's going to be um, New York 21, Houston 17. Ooh, 21. That is really close. Okay. I think it's going to be closer than we think. I think the New York team's been challenged. I think without some of their USA players, I think that they. You know they they struggled against uh, um, Seattle and 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 Houston's one of those teams at the bottom, but it's one of those teams at the bottom that has the talent to make it into the middle. So uh, you know we, we can't count those guys out. Yeah, I think if they can get uh, Viti back with Kalenasau as well, they've got that X factor to get some tries. So let's move on. Uh, you're going to lead this one off for us. It's Toronto as the Raptors have their first home game of the season and. It'll probably feel more like Toronto here this weekend. We're expected for very frigid conditions uh, over the weekend. What are your thoughts on this one, Pete? So I think this is a game of two teams that, um, you know, I think Toronto, as I've said, is is a is a team that's growing. I think, um, you know, Glendale is a team that that's, um, you know, without uh, Davies and McGee, without their nine and ten, you know, they've been surviving. Um, and I think that, um, you know, this is the game that I think, you know, that's going to be undone. I think they've got some of the old guard like Fenolio and, and Peter Dahl and Adam Alifa who've been able, you know, been able to hold it together. But, you know, this Toronto team's beginning to impress me. I think they're beginning to hit their stride. Again, another away trip for them. So it's going to be hard. It will be cold. You know, I think this is going to be Toronto. Um, I think the cold weather is going to keep the scores down. And I think it's going to be um, uh, Toronto 25, uh, Glendale 20. Yep, it's going to be a close one. Sorry, uh, I didn't mention that's going to be on Game TV up in Canada and it'll be on uh, Channel 9 locally here in uh, Colorado. Uh, other viewing options outside of that for the rest of the world. Uh, sorry, the rest of the US, I'm not sure at this point. Uh, we will update if there's anything else to come at that point. But that's it for now. Uh, I will go Toronto as well. But P, I really think this is a game that both these sides can look back on and win or lose, that it will dictate their season. I think if Glendale lose at home, I'm not ready just to wipe them out and say they're done for 2019. But I just, I, I'm not really feeling them going back to a championship if they don't get a win over Toronto at home. 
Um, for Toronto, I think this would be huge for them to, to jump above 500 after their road stretch. So I think Toronto after that game in Houston, uh, they've got some great players. Great kicker in Malcolm when they from May is going to love playing up at altitude, even if it's a little chilly. I will say uh, Toronto to get the win 28-18. What do you think As I that? said, so far we've agreed. Yeah, we're not going to change. Maybe on the last one, I don't know. Hey, feeling Nola at Utah. So you know, I talked a little bit to um, uh, Nate Osborne and uh, this week, and and you know, um, I think Nola's still licking their wounds a little bit from that loss against Rooney. Um, they had a weekend off. All the players and the staff got a weekend off. They people were able to get out of town. Um, but, you know, this is their first away game. And if, if it's going to be cold in Colorado this weekend, it's going to be cold in Utah. So, you know, it's going to put them in a difficult situation. They'll be on that turf field. Utah will be in front of their home crowd. You know, um, I spoke to Alf Daniels a couple of weeks ago, and he really felt that this was the game when they were going to be, really be able to show their stuff. I think, however, um, I think Nola have demonstrated that they're one of the top teams. I think, you know, we're looking at them as, as you know, definitely in the top half, um, they're top of the league. I think Utah are one of those teams that have yet to show us that they can be in the top. I think that they're still looking for some players to come back and, and, and play their best. Um, you know, uh, missing Josh Reeves is huge. Um, it puts Tim O'Malley at uh, fly half and while Gannon Moore had a, you know, a great, weekend scoring two tries and um you know a shout out to our friend Laudy who had two assists with two great um offloads you know that limits their game it limits um you know Gannon Moore's a great runner but Tim O'Malley at 12 allows them to play a little wider it gets the ball in Josh Whippy's hands a little bit more so I think they're going to be um a little bit limited I think the question for Nola is that can they you know match up in the forwards and I think they will so I think Nola are going to win this one um, you know, I think I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think that they're going to win it relatively comfortably. And I think it's going to be something, um, with the weather, something like 25 10 to Nola. All right, let me just process this one really quickly. Double or nothing, yeah, I know. This if we could be put... a double, you should definitely do it. Definitely take Utah, and we should play for two. I could always, are you a gambling man? Are you a gambling man? Uh, gambling implies that there's a chance of winning, so no. Because <laughs> usually I just give my money straight over. The only time I've ever won was, and this is totally derailing, go off with this podcast, I'm sorry, but I was playing craps with someone. I just let them put my chips. I said, whatever you do, I'll do. And then next thing, we're up about 800-something bucks. And uh, as soon as that guy left, I started losing. So I grabbed what was left and just ran for the uh, hotel. It was good. I'm not. I'm not a gambler. No. I'm no Kenny Rogers. I will. Uh, I will stick with you, man. No, I think. <laughs> I know. I know. I just wonder how poor Confoli and Scott Gallagher are think uh, going from the you know the Australian summer to New Orleans, which is nice this time of year. It's still warm enough. It's nothing that they wouldn't not have seen in Australia to uh, their first trip to Salt Lake City and just getting off that plane in Salt Lake. Remember the scene in Rocky Four when they get off in Siberia and it's just nothing but snow. I just hope it's like that and they get off and they're like, <laughs> where are we? And then uh, we got to play rugby tomorrow in this. And so uh, 
they they should handle it. I think Nola's too classy. I think the actual uh, the turf field will, will suit them. To be honest, the way they play, it'll be handle the conditions better. It's always a fast track, and with uh, JPE lost kicking game too, he usually gets a pretty favourable bounce on that stuff. So I will go Nola. I think they'll get away uh, pretty convincingly. I'll go thirty-two twenty-two. Uh, up there in Utah. So boring this week, the same as two weeks ago, but we're going to go exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, and- I think I think one of the interesting things, Dan, you know, uh, unlike last year where really um, every game was a bit of a toss-up, uh, you know, and, and we won't really know this yet, right? So, you know, when we look at these and we look at Houston and Glendale and Utah, you know, we, we've, we've only seen them sort of three or four times. Um, they're still working on their combinations. It's a much longer season, but it appears to be that there's, you know, some teams at the top, you know, the Seattle's and um, and and the Nolas that you know appear to be kind, of, and the San Diego's probably appear appear to be a step above that. The rest, then there's sort of teams that are developing. Um, you know, Rooney's in that group. Toronto's in that group. Glendale's in that group. Um, uh, you know, and and then there are some teams that have yet to really hit their stride, like um, Austin and Houston. I feel like I've um, I've I've left someone out in my uh, in, in my description, but there's this sort of like you know there there are to me three distinct tiers going through week five, and you know the question is in this long season and the work that the coaches and players do is can those teams continue you know to improve and it's a race for that improvement so if you want to if you're the austin or the houston's it's like hey we're in a race every practice we have has to be a better practice than the toronto practice or the rooney practice and you know if you're at the rooney practice and and you know mike tolkien's there he's saying every practice we have to have has to be better than the you know than the san diego practice i mean they are now in a race for improvement it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes yeah, it certainly will. We are definitely starting to see some separation with the sides, and that's only going to increase here over the next uh, three to four weeks. We're just saying over the weekend, we're not even to the point of this season where we have the same amount of games left as there were in the entirety of last season. We still have a few more weeks to hit that event horizon. So long season means more challenges, uh, but it makes for better viewing. It creates uh, more narratives, which makes our job a little easier on the weekend, Pete. Absolutely. Well, you know, thanks for everyone. Um, Dan, you um, do you have a game this weekend that you're doing? I will be going down to Houston to do the Toronto Sabercats game. Oh, well, that's uh, um, a nice place to be uh, um, to be heading down there. I hope I hope you have a good game, and I hope you know all of our listeners. If you can help us out, if uh, um, you know, please on iTunes. Uh, leave us a rating, um, leave us a review that bumps it up when people search and, uh, um, you know, um, subscribe to us, whether wherever you get your podcast, whether it's uh, Stitcher or Google Play or, or iTunes. Again, that helps us spread the word. I love it when you get techie, Pete. You know that. Well, folks, that wraps up another show for us and another week. Enjoy your weekend of rugby. It is a a smorgasbord this weekend. You've also got the USA Sevens where you will be, Pete Steinberg, uh, ARC, and, of course, all your MLR action. So make sure you watch as much as you can. So for Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, our producer, I'm Dan Power, and we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.